Tonight's reading comes from Genesis 12, 1 to 5, and Isaiah 6, 1 to 9, and finally Mark 1, 14 to 20. So starting with Genesis 12, 1 to 5. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your pender that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife uh, Sarai and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they uh, set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Uh, Next reading is Isaiah 6, 1 to 9. In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him, uh, above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two wings which covered their faces, with two that covered their feet, and the other, uh, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the earth who uh, the the whole earth uh, is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, uh, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and uh, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Um, he said, go and tell uh, this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Final reading, Mark one fourteen to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the, oh, sorry, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside uh, the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in, uh, into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. In 
in January, we've been doing this series, uh, and it's called The 5G Connection with God, and maybe one day our phones will have a 5G connection to the net, but who knows, but apparently it's pretty fast and pretty fabulous. Um, I think what's going to be more fabulous is to have an incredible connection with God this year. And to do that, we're starting off with some building blocks, some fundamentals of what it means to be really connected with God, some things that if we keep in mind, will keep us centred and going and returning to God. So, Heavenly Father, as we remind ourselves of this and conclude our series tonight, we just pray to you, God, that you would speak powerfully to us, that we would have something to take away from this message tonight, that from your word, quickened to us by the Holy Spirit, that will make a difference in our lives this coming week and in all the weeks to come. So we ask for a transforming touch of God tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. So what are they that we've looked at so far? The points, the key, the five Gs that we looked at, the 5G connection with God. Well, first of all is grace. That is the undeserved favour of God in our lives. That is the basis on which we have our entire relationship with God. It's based on God's undeserved love and blessing and favour and mercy to us. That's what the word grace means. And so that is the basis on which we relate to him then the next thing we have is gratitude so once we understand that God has loved us despite ourselves and despite all our our ways we are grateful to him and so I believe that gratitude is the ongoing natural disposition of every Christian we should live our entire lives on a daily basis grateful to God grateful for his mercy and so I believe that that is the major motivation for us in our Christian walk, actually, is gratitude. We understand the grace of God. We are forever grateful to God and expresses itself in numerous ways. The first way is it expresses itself in generosity. As God has been generous to us, we seek to be generous to other people. He's given us what we don't deserve. He has taken the initiative to be kind to us, and so we take the initiative to other people. We reach out to people as God has reached out to us. We give of our own resources to other people as God gave us his one and only son. So generosity flows out of the foundation of grace, is an expression of gratitude. And then, of course, as we give to others, uh, the major thing that we can give to people is the good news. So good to hear those young people making their commitments to Christ today. You know, hearing those... First Nations people up there in that Yamba McLean area giving their decisions. There's nothing that can be more important than those young people grabbing hold of Jesus. And we've got to pray that they get nurtured and built up in the faith. Because that's the gospel. We share the good news about Jesus, that he is the saviour of all. And then tonight's message is, this is the last one. It's easy uh, because it's the go message. There we have it, go. Um, if you're a twicer, I want to give, give some tips to twicers. What's a twicer? It means that people have been here morning and night. Have we got some twicers in the room today? I think we've got a couple of twicers floating around the place. Here's how to be a twicer and get the most out of a sermon or a church service when you've, when you've heard the message before. First time you hear a message, you tend to just sort of try to get, get the gist of it and try to work it out. A twicer, you get the advantage of drill down deeply into the personal application of your life. 
And so as you hear the familiar message again coming out of the, of the speaker's mouth, think, oh God, okay, I got, I got the gist of it today. But now I get to drill down deeper. I get to really wrestle with God. What does this message mean to me? How do I apply this message? So just a great reminder, my staff are in that position here a lot. They're twices and other people that are serving in bands and stuff. Just a reminder to you, don't drift off. Drill down drill down deeper and say, God, I want to take the application of this message even further. And so we have the gospel message and then it's go. God said to Abram, go. God said uh, to Isaiah, go. And God said through Jesus to, to the disciples who were just then fishermen, go, go and catch people for me. Go and become fishers of people. Go and uh, and follow Jesus. And do you know what? I believe God's word for us is this. God is saying to you, go into the plans and purposes I have for you in this year and this life. I'm wondering if you think you're getting a clearer picture of the purposes of God for your life. I believe that God does have a purpose for your life. I believe that God does have a plan for your life. You need at your age, you need to be praying that God will show you his purpose and his plan. Because I tell you what, if you get to my age and you realise you've been on the wrong boat, it's, it's bad news. So somebody once said, you can be climbing the ladder of achievement and finally when you get to the top and you're an older person and you finally get to the ladder of achievement, you're at the top and you realise you're leaning on the wrong wall. Don't start heading your life on a direction that God's not in. The blessing of God in your life. Find the purpose and plan for your, for your life. Be praying about that. Pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what he wants you to do and in, in your life. And then you can press into that with great confidence. So God said to Abram, whose name was not yet Abraham. I'll get to that. His name at this stage was Abram. God said to him, go. Okay, if you want to look it up on your devices... Because that's what you, uh, everyone seems to do these days. Flick it up on your phones. We're in Genesis chapter 12. So open it up. Go on, quick. I'm waiting. Grab your phone. If you like the phone of the person next to you and you want an upgrade, grab their phone and tell them to be generous in Jesus' name. Tell them to be grateful. Grace of God's on their life. They should be generous and give you their good phone for your hopeless phone, your cracked screen phone. Okay. So this is what happened. Abram is quite happy where he is, but the Lord said to him, go from your... Now look at what he's being told to do. Go from your country. That's not easy. Go from your people. That's his kith and kin. That's very difficult. And your father's household. That's really tough. And go to a land that I will show you. Go. So what it meant for Abram is he had to live. These are significant things. He's had to leave his country. He had to leave his people. He had to leave his family's, his father's household to a land that he will show you. There's no going back. See, when Abraham set off on this journey, note this. He didn't know where he's going. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. But he had to push off. This was it. There's no return flight. 
Okay, you know how we dart back and forth and everybody zips over there and go to Perth and you go to here and you go to there. This, this is, I am leaving and I won't be coming back. And I'll show you why he wasn't able to come back because of the distance that were travelled. And so he went to a land that he was sure. He had no idea where God was going to take him. He'd, God had promised him that he was going to be a blessing to the nations, that the, under Abram he was going to be like a patriarch and, and we are in a sense by faith children of Abram. That's what the Bible says of us in Romans and Galatians and so he had to push off into this place and of course he was obedient in doing so because I want to tell you this going where God wants us to go means that we will have to leave the old behind and to lay hold of the new to go where God wants you to go you'll need to leave behind and to lay hold of the new. See, Abraham understood this, that obedience, sacrifice and faith are always linked. If you want God's plan for your life, if you want to hear the word, go, I've got, I've got a destiny, I've got a plan for you, it will take, it will, it will cost you a sacrifice. It will cost you obedience. People want the blessing, but they're not prepared for the sacrifice and obedience. How many people here want to be blessed? We all want to be blessed. God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Give me great blessings, oh Lord. We want the blessings. But I tell you what, do we want the obedience and sacrifice? Abraham wasn't blessed until he obeyed and he made the sacrifice. He obeyed God. He sacrificed just leaving everything behind in order to become God's person and establish a whole new nation in which by faith we are a part of. And so obedience, blessing and sacrifice are all linked. Are you prepared to have all three of them in your life plan? Because that's what is required in the spiritual world. Are we prepared to leave those habits behind, those bad attitudes, those things that weigh us down, those things in our life that we know are spiritually slowing us down and hindering us? We're prepared to give that away. And I'll tell you what, when God put the word on Abram, there's a few things that he didn't do. He didn't argue. He didn't whinge. You don't say, oh God, you know what? My father's house, are you joking? Leave my country. Hello, look at it. It's awesome. Look at the garden I've established, the house that I've built. It's just fantastic. I don't want to leave that. You mean leave my people, leave my father? Well, how about this, God? I've got an idea. Why don't I just obey you exactly where I am doing exactly what I'm doing and I'll just like be more zealous at it. He didn't argue with God he picked up he packed up and he pushed on in obedience to God you won't get blessed until you're prepared to leave behind those things that God tells you to leave behind and push on to the things that God has for you in great promises and so he wasn't prepared to settle for the mediocre life he just got going Abram his name means exalted father Abraham means father of many and so instead of just being esteemed in his own family, he was going to be esteemed amongst the nations. He was going to become a blessing. You'll become a great name. And all the peoples, look, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he'll become a father to many. A bold obedience, trusting God's plan for his life and pushing on. And, and I'll say, look at this. This is why there was no going back. This is why there was no return flight, even on Tiger Airlines, which may or may not be operating at that particular time. Well, they generally don't. He's over here, right? This is the Persian Gulf. You up with me, right? 
here's the Persian Gulf here, and he's around about this area. So he pushes off. Now, this is the 300-kilometre marker. Try to work out how many 300 kilometres go in this sort of thing here. You can do that. Try to work that out. How old was Abraham? Did you listen to the reading? How old was Abraham when he pushed off? He was how old? He was 75 years of age. 75. And we, Mark Langford and I were mocked for being old in this church service tonight. Thank you, praise the Lord. And, um, you know, so he was 75 years of age when he got this call. He was no spring chicken. He would already was well established. So here's the he pushed on up here. He went down to here. And, of course, he didn't travel by highway. He wasn't on the three-lane M1. He wasn't just complaining about the tolls. There were hardly any roads. This is dirt track territory. He's picked up his whole family. He's got his wife. He's got his bits and pieces. He's got his nephew. There's a, there's a bit of a family cluster here and they traipse. I think they must traipse more than a thousand kilometres. There's probably 300 and 300 and 300, probably 1,200 kilometres. That's like me saying to you, pack up everything that you own. Don't use the highways. But walk to Adelaide across country. That's the kind of distance that God told Abraham. And of course, he didn't even know where he was going. He didn't get the travel brochure. He couldn't Google it. He couldn't Google Cain and go, wow, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at that. Hey, we're going we're gonna to do this. We all do the travel brochure thing. We all do the itinerary thing. He had no idea. He said, just go to a land where I will show you. Sometimes in obedience, oh God, you don't know the end point of what God's calling you to. You only know the start. You only can see the start. And God says, start on the pathway of obedience. And believe me, I've got this. I'll show you where you're headed. And so Abram pushed off. And of course, there he is settling in Palestine, Canaan, the promised land. That's where he went. A thousand kilometres on foot. So God said to Abram, go. And it's exactly what he did. He was connected to God, you see had a 5G connection. Let's go back one. That's the one, Isaiah. Isaiah, what do we know about Isaiah? Isaiah was a, was a prophet of God, an appointed spokesman of God. He was born in Jerusalem. He's born in Jerusalem and he's living in the 8th century BC. So he's around about the 700s uh, to 600s. He's ministering in that time from about seven, 740 on Onwards, And he is the God spokesman under three different kings. He's ministering under the, the kings. This is why the kings needed prophets to keep them on the straight and narrow because kings wielded the power and the way they wielded the power wasn't always the way God wanted it to be wielded. So God would send prophets like, like watchdogs really just to keep these kings in line uh, under the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. They were the kings of Judah. And they, they reigned from 742 to 687. And Isaiah was plugged into that space. And Isaiah was incredibly concerned with the moral breakdown of his community of believers at that time. So when you read the book of Isaiah, it's in two bits. The first 39 chapters, not good news. Because God is incredibly unhappy with his people. Scholars call the first 39 chapters the book of judgments. 
So you read it and it's like full on. God is really hammering his people. Isaiah has to bring this message of judgment upon the people. And then the next part from chapter 40 through to 66, there's there's this element of hope. There's this element of God bringing things to a wonderful conclusion. And that particular part is called the book of consolation where God's plan, of course, is uh, happening. So what happens in the year 740 BC? said, in the year that King Uzziah died, 740 BC, I see the Lord exalted. They believe he was probably in the temple when he saw this. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And God has got... God is, is it's full of angels and this incredible scene and God was looking for somebody to go and do a job. So he's calling out across the heavens, I've got this job to do. Who will go? Who can I send? These people need to hear from you. But I need someone who will go, who will be sent. And of course, this is what Isaiah does. If you're looking at it, we're in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? He's speaking, you know, on behalf of the whole of the heavens and the heavenly beings. Who will go for us? This is what Isaiah says. Here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell his people. And then he gives the message, this tough message, this message of judgment that he was going to to bring upon his people. So there is God asking the question, who will do this? There's a mission out there. There's a people that need to hear from the Lord. Who will go? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Friends, how much is that your response to when God is, is speaking to you, when God's spirit is revealing something to you, when you know you need to be doing something in Jesus' name, and you, you've got a really strong conviction that it's from God, how much do you say, here I am, send me? How much is that our response? Is that our normal and natural default response? Here I am, God. I hear you. Send me. And then God says, go. And I want to tell you what, this was not a... Abram was sent to a land flowing of milk and honey. It wasn't always easy, but it was a land flowing of milk and honey. Isaiah was sent to a pain in the neck bunch of people that refused to listen to him. The pain in the neck Israelites. This is what happened later on, verse 11. You didn't have this read to you, so listen to me now. He says, for how long, Lord? Because he says, how long, O Lord? Of course, this is what we want to know when God calls us to do something, a job for him, a mission for him, an act of obedience. We say, oh, how long is that going to be, Lord? Kind of, you know, I hope it's not going to be too long. Could be like not so pleasant. So I'm prepared to like go on the roster for a little bit. For just a couple of years, I might do something. And how long is it going to be? Listen to what God says to me. Um, how long do you want me to be the spokesman, Lord? Mm-hmm. He said, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, until the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And, through, and though a tenth remains in the land, a tenth. It again will be laid waste. But as the terebinth oak leaves a stump when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. God leading hope. So what 
Isaiah had to go and he had to minister to a pain in the neck people of God that were going to take no attention and eventually God's people were going to be destroyed. He's ministering in a time where in 721, Israel's in 12 tribes. The Assyrians sweep down like a plague of locusts and they grab 10 tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel and they cart them off to Assyria and they disappear from the history books. 721, right in the middle of Isaiah's reign. He sees 10 twelfths of Israel disappear. Completely taken into captivity, evaporated. There are two tribes left out of 12. When Isaiah finishes his ministry, he sees the desolation and yet he still speaks into that situation. Sometimes I want to tell you, God's calling us to hard things. God's God's sometimes mission for your life will be hard, unrelenting, lifelong, difficult, unresolved. With people that may be very difficult unresponsive it's not always a land of flowing of milk and honey it's not all about the the easy peasy blessing that God's on about sometimes it's difficult there's a reference in Hebrews eleven thirty seven that some scholars say uh, refers to Isaiah and it's talking about the price the prophets have paid for their ministry and uh, this the writer of Hebrews is just running they were stoned they were sawn in two they were tempted they were put to death by the sword uh, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and ill-treated. The reference there about being sawn in two, they believe that could be a reference. The Jewish scholars think that could be a reference to Isaiah, that under King Manasseh, who was the most bloodthirsty king Israel ever had, Judah ever had, because it's all that's left of the southern two tribes, they believe that Manasseh got Isaiah and sawed him in two. So that's his mission. He says, send me to a belligerent, unbelieving, unrelenting, unrepentant people right through to the absolute desolation. Sometimes the call of God in our life is a call of suffering. You know, because obedience and sacrifice and blessing. God calls us into hard situations sometimes and the cost can be enormous. Who would go? Who would step up? He says, send me. Here I am, send me. But I tell you what, sometimes in the church I hear things like there. There they are, send them. And so, you know, when things need doing around here and the mission of God's out there, let's go and do some stuff here. Let's do some crazy things for Jesus. And we go, well, who's going to be on board with all of this kind of stuff? And we go, there they are, send them. I believe they're going to be good at that. We might say, stump, we say things like, oh, someone will do it. When there's an ministry and someone will do it. And we've mastered this. If I step back enough and I'm quiet enough, even though there's a gaping need that I could do and maybe I feel I should, I'm just going to be back here. And if I just remain quiet in the shadows, someone will step in and do that. I'm just going to wait them out. Where is the here I am sent me spirit of Isaiah in the Christian church today? If I don't do it, someone else will do it. It's got to be somebody else's turn. I'm not responsible for that. That's not my thing. That's your responsibility. I've got boundaries. You know, that's your thing. You've got to do that. You've got to deal with that. I've got a new, new phrase that I'm saying these days to get myself out. This is my I don't want to do it phrase. You ready? You can use this from now on. It doesn't work with God, by the way. And so I've been helping out a local church that's been doing it really hard. 
I've been meeting with their pastor. I've been meeting with some of their key leaders. They're going through a real turmoil of redefining themselves and all those kinds of things. And so I've been meeting with them. And I tell you what, I've got a pastor's heart. So I start to get caught up in this a little bit. I start to... I start to feel it a little bit and I'm talking about it all the time at home and driving my wife a little bit crazy. And the text messages I'm getting, I'm on my days off, I'm getting text messages and phone calls and I'm handling them and, and doing that and arranging breakfasts and all these kind of bizarre meetings. And I've got another meeting coming up with it and I'm going to preach at that church in March. It's all, you know, I'm trying to help them. And I keep saying, I keep saying to Shelley, you know, but you need to remember, love, this is my phrase, uh, it's not my circus and they're not my monkeys. All right, that's my phrase. It's not my circus, they're not my monkeys. Like, it's not, it's not my responsibility. It's not my circus. I've got nothing to do with that. They're not my monkeys. This is not got anything to do. And as I keep on getting invested in this, my wife just looks at me and she says, you look like a monkey to me. Because she realises I'm getting invested <laughs> and that I do care. But that's what I like to say. When I don't want to say, here I am, send me, I say, not my circus, not my monkeys. Doesn't wash with my wife, she sees straight through, doesn't wash with God. Doesn't wash with either of them. And of course, then we come to the disciples. We come to the disciples. There they are, just fishing, and Jesus turns up, turns their world upside down. And so we have two clusters of disciples Come and follow me, he says. I'll make you fishers of people. And he brings two small groups aboard. There they were. And note what they left. They left everything. They even left their father in the boat with the hired hand, the sons of Zebedee. They just, without, without delay, he called them. And they left their father in the boat and the hired men. And that was it. The other disciples, Andrew and his brother, come and follow me. At once they left their nets and followed him. So they heard the call of Jesus and they just left everything. They, lo they left where they lived. They left their occupation. They left the tools of their trade. They just dropped everything to follow Jesus. And they, prepared the they paid the price for that. And so, you know, as we look at the disciples, I mean... We might say, oh, I would love to be a disciple. I mean, have you ever played that game with yourself when you've read the book of Acts and seen all the cool things that the, the disciples got up? Sometimes I would have loved to have been a disciple. I would have loved to follow Jesus around. I would have said yes. I would have dropped everything and followed him. And of course, yes, they did mighty things. This is some of the stuff they did. Yes, they preached the gospel. Yes, they healed the sick. Yes, they cast out demons. They even raised the dead. They saw a Holy Ghost revival where thousands of them were saved and baptised in the single day and they testified to kings and of course this is what the people said of them in the book of Acts these people have turned the world upside down they've come here too and then they said of the disciples they were unschooled and ordinary men they were astonished they took note that these men had been with Jesus you see they'd been following Jesus and they were filled with the presence and the power of God for ministry and they were out doing them and they could see the man that had been healed with their prayers standing right there and no one could say anything. God does extraordinary things through obedient, ordinary people. These were ordinary people. I'm looking at how many people here would think that they're pretty ordinary? How many people here think they're extraordinary? Like, trick question. 
We're ordinary people. But God, when he lays hold of us and we say, God, send me, he takes the ordinary and does extraordinary things for it. Never say to yourself, I'm just too ordinary to do something amazing from God. That's the lie of the devil. He takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. As long as the ordinary will say, when I'm, when I'm told to go, I go. When I'm told to go, I go. God takes the ordinary, makes it extraordinary. But know this. Most of the disciples were martyred. Killed in horrendous ways. Exiled. Very few of them lived and survived. Very few of them got to my age. Maybe one or two. Obedience. Sacrifice. And blessing. Are invariably linked in the life of faith. God is saying to you to go. I don't know what the plan of God is for your life. I've got no idea. You need to seek the plan of God for your life and you need to step into it. You need to pick up, press on, pack up and step up into the plan God has for your life. It will cost you. There will be faith. There will be obedience. There will be sacrifice. And there will be blessing there is no better life that you can live than a life where you know you are called to do something that God has called you to do that you are going to a people that you relate to people that God has called you to relate to and they may or may not be responsive now you're not going to be called to go and found the Israelite nation and be a, a patriarch or a matriarch of faith that's been done you're not going to be called to be a person that preaches to a a massively dwindling, evaporating tribe of ancient people in Palestine in the 8th century BC. That's not your calling. Nor are you called to traipse around Palestine in a wandering Bible college with thongs wearing a caftan. Like the disciples were, that's not the calling of God on your life, but you have a calling of God. God has made you with a purpose and a plan. Are you fulfilling the purpose of your life that God had destined you in your mother's womb? God had a plan and a purpose for you. You need to step up into that purpose and say, God, send me. When God says, go, I will go. When God says, who will step out in faith? I will step out in faith. I will leave behind the old. I will lay hold of the new. I will walk out with faith and obedience. I will receive blessing and pay the sacrificial price. What do you want me to do, God? How can I serve you? To whom do you call me? What's my mission and purpose and plan in life? Show me, Lord, and I want to step up into it. So that when God says, over your life, who will I send? You say, here I am. Send me. And God says to you, go. Go.